0: Good morning, Vance. How are you? How's everybody else doing? Good. Sorry, I had to fix my hair. <laughs> well, as we are continuing on down the river and our down to the river teaching series, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah today. Um, maybe a familiar passage for many of you. But before we start, before we read, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. God, we give you praise for the opportunity yet again uh, to dive into your Word, speak to our hearts, have your way with us, reveal your nature to us, and help us to just to leave here with a greater knowledge and perspective of who you are, your will for us in our lives. God, right now as we uh, prepare uh, to learn from you, we recognize that there are many this morning who are without a church without a home many that are dealing with the devastation of flooding in eastern Kentucky we lift these, these families up to you many that have loss of life that are dealing with loss and grief the grief of losing a home the grief of losing an occupation a place to worship things that they have come to to know as familiar and normal have been uprooted Father, we also want to lift up to you this morning uh, the Wallace family as they continue on sabbatical. Refresh Rachel. Fill her heart with your spirit. Help her to enjoy this time away and come back feeling renewed. Now, God, as we open your word, we just pray that your spirit move in this place in a mighty way. We ask this in your holy name. So I am going to read out of the book of Isaiah. So you guys can just kind of sit and soak it in if you're okay with that. And I'm going to be reading from chapter 43, verses 16 through 21. You guys hear me okay in the back? This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness, and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, and the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness, and streams in the wasteland. I give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, question for you guys. Have, have you guys ever been to the desert? Some of you, some of you have not. Has anybody ever lived in the desert? Or close to a desert? Yes? still stealing my thunder, Vonnie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, that's all good. I knew this was going to happen. I predicted this. That is right. I didn't live in the desert, but I did live in West Texas. Now. Texas is a big state. There are parts of Texas that are actually aesthetically pleasing, you know, like Austin area or even down around San Antonio. Parts of Texas are actually beautiful. West Texas, not so much. West Texas is just a hot and a dry and a dusty area. And the wind, oh my goodness, the wind blows constantly because there's no trees. (laughs) There's no trees to block the wind. I mean, it's just prairie as far as you can see. And from May to September, it wasn't uncommon to see triple digits daily. I mean, they're dealing with it right now. Now, people will tell you, well, yeah, but it's a different kind of hot. You know, it's it's a dry heat. Humidity isn't very high, so it's not really that hot wrong. I'm telling you, 104 degrees is still stinking hot. I mean, it was so hot. It was so hot that the cows were producing evaporated milk. (laughs) It was so hot the chickens were laying hard-boiled eggs. It was so hot that two fire hydrants were once seen biting over a dog. It was hot. And grass, you could not get grass to grow unless you spent the money and you put in one of those fancy irrigation systems. So if you lived in the suburbs, people would do that, or they would fill their, their yards with a rock. <laughs> that was the easiest way to do it, the southwestern lawnscaping thing. We didn't, we didn't have the, the luxury of an irrigation system. We lived on two flat acres, and you had to mow it because even though the grass wouldn't grow, the weeds did, <laughs> And I would, mow the, I would mow the yard, and I would just be covered in dirt. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. Weather was always a factor because of the tornadoes, the severe thunderstorms, strong winds, hail, and dust storms. You guys remember that? You guys ever been in a dust storm? It looks just like this. You talk about something that is spooky. And I don't care how well insulated your house was or how tight it was, how new it was. This dust always found a way of... Of, of infiltrating into the cracks and the crevices, and it would fill the corners of your house after one of these dust storms. It was the strangest things. And critters, critters were all over. Rattlesnakes. There were so many rattlesnakes that once a year they had this big festival. It was called the Rattlesnake Roundup. It was a way for them to try to to to, man, to manage you know, the rattlesnake population in that area. So people would go, and they'd gather up all these rattlesnakes, and they'd bring them in, and they'd win prizes for most snakes or biggest snakes or whatever then they'd skin them and eat them because it's texas you know scorpions were a big deal i don't know if you guys know this or not but scorpions love laying their eggs in fresh lumber and they sneak into the lumber yards and that's where they would lay their eggs I didn't know this, but until we built a house in 1999, and after we moved in a few weeks later, we had this pleasant surprise of scorpions just kind of falling out of the ductwork and crawling around under the sinks and everywhere. I mean, our house was infested, brand-new home infested with scorpions. We had to hire an exterminator to come out and, and, and dust the attic just to get rid of them, and fire ants. You ever, stand, you ever make the mistake of, of stepping on a fire ant mound? Woo! It'll light you up. Fire ants, scorpions, we had to have all this stuff treated constantly. But the worst part of living there was the allergies. I mean, you think Louisville is bad. Live in West Texas for a while. You were just constantly dealing with allergies. Now I realize Abilene, Texas technically isn't a desert. But for me it was. It sounds like maybe for others it felt a lot like that as well. So they're probably never going to invite us to serve on the tourism department or the hoods. But all these, well, yeah, the people were great. The food was amazing. So I'm not saying Abilene's a bad place. I'm just saying the weather was terrible. But all these conditions were indicative of living in an area that just did not receive a lot of water. Every summer, they have a drought. Having one now, it's just not uncommon. So on these, on these uh, low water days, they would ration water. You couldn't be seen doing things like washing your car or watering your grass, so they would write you a ticket. Now, a real desert is a lonely place where one can easily lose direction because of the heat or the fatigue, the dehydration, the disorientation that that being in a desert uh, climate creates. Even the most experienced desert guides have difficulty finding their way in the desert because of the terrain and the desert conditions. Now, in our text this morning, we read, which, by the way, this is typically offered during Lent, if you follow along in the lectionary. But in our text this morning, God reminds his people through the prophet Isaiah, of how he provided for them when they were escaping from Egypt. Now, Rachel talked about this on, on day one, on uh, week one of this teaching series. She uh, reminded us about the Exodus story and, and the liberation theme. But the people of God did, didn't just pass out of Egypt into freedom. Okay? They had to wander around the desert for a while. And during this wandering time, it was like 40 plus years, they traveled through six different deserts they called the wilderness before they were allowed to enter into the Promised Land. Now they had no food, God gave them manna and quail. They had no water, but God gave them water from a rock whenever they needed it. They had no clue where they were going, but God led them with a cloud pillar during the day and a pillar of fire at night. They needed a place to worship, God gave them a tabernacle. They, they need a, a moral code. They needed to know how to live in community. God gave them the law. God gave them protection. Everything that they needed to survive and to survive in community, you can read about all of this in Exodus, but God provided this for them. But this world this story is also referenced in our text this morning. Why? Because God serves it up as a reminder to his people of who he is. Now, first, a couple things about Isaiah. Isaiah was considered one of the major prophets in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. Right? Now, there's all kinds of debate. as to the timelines, when Isaiah was written, how many authors uh, were involved in the writing of the book of Isaiah. We're not going to get into a lot of that this morning, but I want to take a look at this timeline just for a minute, just so we can understand. Come back. There was a lot of things that happened leading up to the time of Isaiah that we need to understand. First of all, if you remember, the, 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 the nation of Israel w- went into like a, a state of civil um, unrest where they, they couldn't agree on things. They divorced. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom divorced. They were fighting over money. They were. They were fighting over money. So you got the northern kingdom now, which is the kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom, which uh, became known as the kingdom of Judah. They both had their own kings. They both have their own monarchy now. And eventually, okay, the northern kingdom would become conquered by the Assyrian army. And they would just disperse the northern kingdom altogether, and everybody would just scatter. And they would also know eventually that the southern kingdom, Judah, would become conquered by the Babylonian Empire. And the Babylonians would then come, and they would grab what they considered to be all the special people, the the educated, the rich, the talented and they would exile them into Babylon. They left everybody else behind. Now, here's a timeline of Isaiah, as we see many people uh, want to use this as the frame that Isaiah um, was writing about. So Isaiah is talking, if you read in the first 39 chapters, he's talking about what's going on in the northern kingdom. He's also prophesying about what's going to be happening in the southern kingdom. Okay. So when he's <clears throat> something happens around chapter 40. The first 39 chapters are all doom and gloom, okay? Devastation, conquest, exile. All these things are happening in the first 39 chapters. But around chapter 40, something happens. The tone changes into pages upon pages upon pages of God's redeeming grace and power and hope. Return and restoration become key themes here in this section of the book of Isaiah. Now, most of the scriptures that we know as the messianic prophecies come from this part of, of the book of Isaiah. Now, we can't begin to take the time to unpackage all of that. But we're just focusing on 43 this morning. But in chapter 43, verse 16, God, speaking through his prophet, wants to remind those who are in exile of the God that he is. But hey, do you remember that thing that I did way back then? It's still me. Still here. But then he says, forget all that. Because it's nothing compared to what I'm I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. I've already begun. Do you not see it? I'm going to make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in a dry wasteland. The animals are going to thank me. I'm going to put a river in a desert. I'm fixing to do a new thing. Yes, that's exactly how he said it, because it was a southern kingdom. I'm fixing to do a new thing. Now, who doesn't like new stuff? I mean, new stuff is exciting, right? New toys, new house, new cars, new guitars. I mean, as material things go, it's the smell. I mean, when you when you first unpackage that new thing that oh, right off the factory line, right off the shelf, you just smell. Remember when you were kids and you opened up all those presents under the tree on Christmas Day? Your the living room just smelled of artificial plastic, but as a, you're like, oh, it smells so good. It smells like Christmas. You know, it's that smell. I buy stuff from Amazon all the time, and I don't know if anybody else is guilty of this, but I'll buy something from Amazon because it'll hit me. Oh, I would like to have that, so I've got to look. Of course, they always have whatever you need, and I'll buy it. Then I forget that I ordered it. Sometimes it'll show up in two or three days, sometimes two or three weeks, but I get a package on my porch, and I don't even remember what it is. So it's like Christmas all the time at my house. <laughs> Let's be open up this well. I wonder what Daryl bought for Daryl this time. <laughs> Anybody else do that? Just me? Uh-huh. Amazon. I know. you buy, Shop local. Don't do that. <laughs> Even new life circumstances can generate a certain degree of excitement, right? New relationships, new jobs, new schools, new babies. Mm. N- new stuff is just so cool. And God wants to do new stuff all the time. We just got to look for it. God does does new things all the time. We don't always catch it because we're not always looking for it. But in our text this morning, here's the cool part. God gives us a roadmap to learning how to look for it, to learning how to prepare for the work that he's going to do. So the step one, he tells us, is we got to forget about it. Forget about it. Forget about what? Forget about the past. Now, I believe there's a couple ways to interpret this text, and I think they're both right. The first thing this text is telling the reader is this. Don't get hung up on the way that God did things back in those days because he says, I'm fixing to do something different. I'm fixing to do something new. I think he's saying that, but I also believe that it's saying this. I know that you messed up. You know that you messed up. Let's move on. Don't dwell on it. You guys have got hang-ups. you got stuff. you got some junk in your past. In order to get in touch with your future, with your destiny, you cannot live in the past. You have to learn from it. The past is a great place to learn from. It's a terrible place to live. If you live in the past, you'll never be able to embrace the future that God has for you. uh, Let's use revolution as an example. In the life of this community... We have seen a lot of really, really good days. And we've seen some bad times, right? The last two and a half, year, two and a half years have been tough. In a way, we've been wandering in the wilderness. But we've got to look forward. I don't think it's any big secret. I'm not, I'm not saying anything anybody doesn't know when I say that many of the faces that were here before COVID are not here today. But you know the one person that has never left? The Spirit of God. I believe it. I see it. I see it in your faces. I see it in your servant hearts. I see it when we come and we worship and we gather here. I have no doubt, with all my being, that when we gather here, we worship in the presence of the divine every week. And if you come here looking for God, here of all places, you cannot help but find God. So we have to let go and move forward because God wants to do something new. And the next thing he tells us is we have to anticipate it. I'm about to do something new. Anticipate it. Expect it. Listen, if you're expecting God to do something amazing in your life, anticipate what is to come. I mean, imagine being in exile. You haven't heard from God in ages. You've not witnessed or experienced any miracles in your generation. And you're just consumed by darkness, and you've just reached a point where you just feel like, okay, maybe this is the best that it's going to get, and I just need to accept that. But God reminds them, hey, still here, and it's going to get better. Better days are coming. You've got to anticipate it. You've got to be ready. The best is yet to come. And I hope that's our experience that when we come here, when we gather here, I hope that we don't just show up and say, well, it's just another week. Probably just going to be like it was last week. We're going to sing those same old songs we always sing, listen to a teaching, go home, go to the Cracker Barrel. Or maybe we can start having conversation with the divine and say, God, do something new in me today before we even cross into the threshold. God, speak to me. Change me. Help me to be what you want me to be. Do something in your church today. Anticipate it. Expect it. We're not looking back at the past. We're moving forward. We've got to anticipate what God is going to do by looking at the future. God says we have to see it. He said, I've already begun. Don't you see it? God wants us to see that he has, He is at work. We can't join in in what God is doing in his vocation if we can't see where God is working. And I believe that we need to start setting God-sized goals. We have a tendency to place boundaries on an infinitely powerful deity based on our own limitations. You ever think about that? God wants to do something new, and God wants to do something God-sized in your life. God wants to do something new and God-sized here in this community. Now don't confuse this with the prosperity gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. I also believe, though, that we do have a tendency to look past what God is capable of doing. We need to be reminded from time to time as Paul tells us, That he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. God is able to do more than we even know what to ask for. God is able to do more than we can even imagine. The boundaries of our own imagination are within the boundaries of what God is capable of doing. And then God says, I need you just to get out of the way and let me build it. When I'm moving, when I'm leading, I will build things in places that people did not think were possible. Because that's how God works. That's how He rolls. He says, I will put a river in a desert, I will put a highway that leads to the middle of nowhere. God is a builder, and God builds things in unexpected places. He picks hard places to do great things. That's how He rolls. Through Isaiah. God reminds us that God cannot be stopped in his commitment to redeem God's people. There's no challenge too hard, no obstacle too great, no body of water too wide, no desert too dry to keep God from creating or recreating the necessary conditions for God's people to flourish and for all of creation to rise up and offer praise to God in response. God picks dry places to do fertile things. Amazing places. Rivers in the middle of a desert, he says. See, this metaphor of the wilderness, this desert, for the Jews, it was Babylon. It was the consequences of their own actions. They were in exile away from home, and they were in a very dark place. But the thing is, we all travel through the wastelands from time to time, don't we? And sometimes that experience can be so dark that we have no inkling that God is even with us or that he has already started working to make a way through the desert because we're not looking for the light. We're just settling into the dark. Whether it's the desert of a struggling relationship, finances, occupation, addiction, grief, loss, depression, mental health, we all go through the desert at some point often as we live in a world that is broken. And we broke it. And even Jesus spent time in the wilderness, both literally and figuratively. Before he started his ministry, he spent 40 days in the desert to be tempted. Before he was taken uh, to be crucified, he sweat drops of blood. He was in anguish so much, he was in a desert. And he cried out to his God. Maybe this could be considered a spiritual desert we have these as well place of loneliness misdirection confusion some people spend their lives wandering in the spiritual deserts of despair disillusionment disappointment spiritual deserts can be encountered excuse me encountered uh, in our spiritual exile from god but it's a spiritual exile that we put in place not god where we feel separated we've lost our way we become nomads or desert wanderers. We've lost our focus and our direction. We can't find our way back to fertile ground. These spiritual deserts are filled today with people that carry baggage of their past and are wandering aimlessly on the hot sands and hopelessness of despair. The way out that they have chosen for themselves is simply just a mirage. The only way out is by turning to God and away from those realities that keep them in the desert. The only way out is by taking God's hand and letting God lead them out. This involves admitting that there's a problem, submitting to God, and committing to making positive personal transformation. We can teach you all about these steps on Wednesday night. Come out and join with us. God says, I will make a way for you in the desert so that you may find your way out of the desert. We live these days in spiritual wastelands where people have become so tainted and corrupt by all the ugliness and hatred of the world around us that they've lost hope in God, ever changing the present human condition. They resign themselves to eternal, I don't know, pessimism. They've lost all belief in things ever getting better. they become permanent residents of spiritual wastelands, so steeped in the spiritual quagmires of the past that they cannot see God trying to do something new today. They live in wastelands where they waste away in body, mind, soul, and spirit. Their souls become dry. Their hearts have become dry by the problems that they deal with, the problems of society, the problems of living in general. Their minds have not been restored by the fresh waters of God's love and compassion and mercy. Instead, they sit in their dry corners, their parched offices, their barren boardrooms. They suffer in their wastelands, never understanding that God has made for us streams in the wasteland, a way out, a way to refresh. If they would only look up and and go to these freshwater places that God has created for their renewal, they would then see that God is doing a new thing in their midst, right there, right in front of them. God says, I will put streams in the desert. The dry places shall become wet places, the old places shall become new places, and the crooked places shall become straight. That which has been evaporated of the streams of life shall be replenished and refurbished with the fresh rushing waters of God's power and grace. This is why God sent his son to this wasteland that we live in, to give us hope, to give us joy, to give us spiritual prosperity. God looked over the world, and he saw what a mess that we made of things, what a waste of things that we were doing down here, and he decided to send his son to clean things up and to set things right. Now where there's hopelessness, where there's powerlessness, where there's joylessness, now there's hope, there's power, there's joy through the power of Jesus. That which has been deemed impossible for humankind will be possible for God. God is doing a new thing, even if we do not perceive it. I believe with all my power in the sovereignty of God. I do. But I don't believe that God builds deserts for us to put us in them. I believe a lot of times these deserts that we encounter are self-inflicted, or sometimes they're just um, cause and effect. Sometimes it's just a response to the circumstances of the world that we live in. I don't have all the answers. Some things I just don't know. Thousands of dollars in seminary training, and those are the three words that I've embraced the most. I don't know. And they, those, those three words have brought me more peace probably than anything else that I learned, because I don't know. And I guess I've come, come to terms with the fact that I don't have to. And on this side of eternity, I'm not going to know. If anybody tells you they know, they don't. I don't know. I don't know why a tree in the middle of a campground can fall and kill a seven year old girl instantly on impact. You guys hear about this? I don't know why that happens. But maybe it's not a theological question. A buddy of mine was there. He was camping there. He was right across the creek when it happened. He was a first responder. He called to tell me the story of it all, and he was in tears. And he says, but I'll tell you one thing. Everybody around here has an explanation for why it happened. God has a plan. He says, I think God needs a new plan. I don't think God made that tree fall on that little girl. I don't think it's a theological question. I think maybe it's a scientific question. Maybe, maybe the tree was just old and was under stress because of the rain that day and all the leaves, and it was just a freak accident. I have no answers as to why a river runs wild and kills 25 people. It takes so many others out of their homes and out of their churches. And the irony isn't lost on me that as we're talking about rivers in a desert, there is a river that is sucking the life out of communities just east of here. We're going to learn more about that here in a little while, of how we can help. I don't have the answer for that or any other natural disaster. God didn't say that he would remove our deserts. He said he would help us to make a way through it. And he's faithful in doing just that. But at these desert places, as painful as they are, they create for us a reminder. Christian author Marlena, Marlena Graves in her book, A Beautiful Disaster, says this, the wilderness has a way of curing our illusions about ourselves and teaching us to depend more and more on God. When we first enter, we're convinced we've entered the bowels of hell. But on our pilgrimage, we discover that the desert drips with the divine. I love that. The desert drips with the divine. We discover that desert land is fertile ground for spiritual activity, transformation, and renewal. So true, isn't it? And when everything's going right, everything's going good, we're just kind of skipping along. Ho, ho. God becomes gradually more and more distant. I'm doing pretty good. You know what? I think I got this. Start getting a little cocky. Then before you know it, you begin to think you don't need God at all. Then you look up and you realize that you've wandered into the desert. And we're reminded really quickly of how dependent, how reliant we are on God because God provides for us that hope in these desert places, that hope that without it we could never struggle or we could never navigate to get through. We would struggle to get through on our own. Any Need to Breathe fans here this morning? The Christian rock band Need to Breathe, a few of you have heard of them. One of my favorite, favorite rock bands. Mainstream, they've crossed over, they do some pop stuff too. A few years ago, they released an album called Rivers in the Wasteland. And this album was in response to a dark time that they were dealing with as a band, as many bands do. They reach a point where success has driven them to creative differences, uh, business issues, financial issues. To make matters worse, uh, the, the two leading members, founding members, were brothers. So now it's affected their families and their home life. So for two years, they wandered in their own desert. And a lot of the songs from this album were written from this period in time. The song Multiplied, by the way, came off this album. I was reading an interview with Bear Reinhart. Him and his brother wrote this song that I'm fixing to read to you in response to that dark time that they were in, in, in just this deep start, state of depression. The song was called Wasteland. All of these people that I meet, it seems like they're fine but in some ways I hope that they're not and that their hearts are like mine. It's wrong when it seems like work to belong and all I feel is hurt. But if God is on my side, if God is on my side, God is on my side, who can be against me? In this wasteland I am living There's a crack in the door filled with light. It's all that I need to get by. In this wasteland where I'm living, there's a crack in the door filled with light. It's all that I need to shine. When we're in that dark place, sometimes we just need that little shimmer of light, that crack. just that speck of hope to remind us that we're not in it by ourselves, that God is there with us. We must look for it. We must expect it. We must anticipate it. God says, forget about the past and anticipate what I'm fixing to do. Look for it. And get out of my way and watch what I can do. God wants to do something new. Who's ready for something new? Who's ready for something new? Me too. Let's pray. Yet again, God, your word just gives us so much that we can, we can apply in our lives and to use. And we'll just thank you for the hope that it delivers to us consistently and faithfully. God, I know there are many of us here this morning, those who are here today and those who are listening at home, they find themselves currently in a desert place, struggling. I pray, Lord, that in some way that your word this morning can serve to them as a reminder that you are there, that you will lead them through, that you will get them to the other side, that you're getting ready to do something big and God-sized in their lives. Thank you that you walk with us, that you don't forsake us, and that you don't leave us. We're reminded, as we mentioned earlier, of the desert places that we experience and the desert places experienced by your son, Jesus. And we remember that on the night that he gave himself up, how he sat at a table with his closest friends and they prepared a meal. And Jesus grabbed a loaf of bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he told his friends, he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup and after giving thanks, he told them, said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So God, we pray that you will pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ. That we might be for the world your body, redeemed by your saving, precious blood. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.